morning. My name is Pastor Brad. I'm the worship arts pastor here at New Life. I just want to welcome all of you. If you're a first-time guest with us here today, thanks so much for taking time to uh, be here with us. We appreciate that. Hope you've enjoyed your experience so far and uh, just plan for you to be here. And, and uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit later about something that you can do to receive a couple of free gifts for being here today. But just thank you so much for being here. For those of you who are regular attenders, uh, welcome back. We're glad you're here. And uh, those of you who are watching online, thanks so much for taking time out of your morning to join us wherever you're at today. We love you. We pray for you. And thank you so much for, for being here with us as we jump into part 16, everybody. Part 16 of Mountain Monologues. And guess what that means? Summer's almost over. And uh, all the students in the place go, uh, and all the parents are like, that's life. You know, ain't no other time in your life where you're getting three months off, right? So, uh, but uh, man, we're, we're just so excited for this series. It's been a great series. And, uh, you know, this series has been incredibly powerful. And as we kind of recap it a little bit, I'm going to encourage you, go ahead, get your Bible out. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, or if you have a smartphone, get your Bible app out and turn there. And again, want to encourage you to open up your Bible wherever you are, because God speaks to us. And through His Spirit, and we want to be able to have uh, maybe a note or something in there. You can do that in a Bible app too, which is super cool. So I want to encourage you to do that as we uh, as we begin today. We're going to look at chap- Matthew chapter seven, verse seven. So um, you know, but throughout this series, we've been discovering incredible truths that, as we apply those truths in our lives, Jesus transforms us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens. Jesus came here. He, he taught about our attitudes. He taught about judging others. He taught about gossip. He taught about sexuality, all of these things. And as we take his truth and we apply them, it's actually life, the scripture says, to us. And, and when we apply it, we're transformed into the likeness of Jesus, who, by the way, is our author. And he's the perfecter of our faith. So he's working it out inside of us. And so we have this opportunity now to take the truth of Jesus. And there's really no better uh, part of the scripture to study than the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is, you know, honestly, if you wondered what Jesus thought about anything, this was the sermon to study because he basically covers just about everything. And so we've been doing that, taking his truth, and we've been applying it uh, in our lives. And so today we're going to continue in that, and we're going to focus on a practice that was actually central in Jesus' life. So let's open up to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 7, and we're going to see this practice of which Jesus uh, had a discipline in his life, and that is prayer. Here's what Jesus said. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that we have your word. Thank you that we can learn it and and apply it to our lives and that you and the power of the Holy Spirit are transforming us from the inside out so that we can become more like you and receive the life that we've always wanted. God, today I pray you would open our hearts up to receive from you what you have specifically for me and specifically for the person who's listening today. Would you just speak to our hearts and would you change us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, back on June 29th and 30th, we actually heard Jesus' first message on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus started that section with something very important. He said this. He said, and when you pray. 
when you pray. Now, the word when implies something, and that is it's an assumption that Jesus' followers would pray. It's not something that, that Jesus needed to say. In fact, his disciples actually came to him and said, you know, Jesus, we've been watching you. and We see what God's doing through you. You're healing people, raising people from the dead. We're seeing all of this incredible stuff. And we just want to know, how do you pray? Because we know that that's central in your life. Because that's what Jesus did. He would speak in front of many, many people, just like I'm doing today. And then he would go off by himself and kind of debrief with his heavenly father in prayer. And so the disciples said, how do you do that? And Jesus said, well, listen, first of all, you actually need to pray. Okay, prayer is not just an idea. So he said, and when you pray, it's an implication, it's an assumption that his followers would pray. And so later now in the Sermon on the Mount, here in, in our passage today, Jesus actually commands us to pray. He builds on that assumption and he commands us to pray. Let's look at it again. Verse 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now, these original accounts in Matthew were written in Greek. And in the original language, the verbs ask, seek, and knock are all present, active, and imperative verbs. Now, that's really important. In fact, we can learn a lot of stuff from that. And I want to just kind of break that down for us. So, everybody, I'm taking you back to English 101. Maybe 201, all right? Maybe 201, okay? Because I'm not going to talk about a noun and a verb and, and what they do and how, you know, and, and, you know, Mr. Morton. You guys know that? You know Schoolhouse Rocks, anybody? Yeah, Mr. Morton is the subject of my sentence. And what the predicate says, he does, right? That's how I learned grammar, okay? <laughs> Worked for me. So I want to break it down, though. What is present tense? Let's look at that. These verbs are in present tense. Present tense is a tense expressing an action that is currently going on or habitually performed, or a state that currently or generally exists. You see, Jesus wants us to understand that prayer isn't something we do once. Prayer is something we do right here, right now. It's ongoing. It's to be a discipline in our lives. So it's not something that, you know, we pray and receive Jesus in our lives. Maybe you did that earlier this morning, praise God, while we were receiving the Lord's Supper. Or maybe you've prayed when you needed uh, financial provision or you needed healing. And that's good, and, and God wants us to do that. But that's not the only time God wants us to pray. God wants us to pray continually, ongoing, and, and, and on a daily basis, that we're in this relationship with Him. In fact, the author of Hebrews says this. He said that um, when we pray, we're actually praying to a God who exists and he's actually here with us because God never leaves us nor forsakes us. So he's here in this moment. And James, who happens to be Jesus' brother, actually said that when we draw near to God, that God actually draws near to us. And so when we pray, it's a present and ongoing experience for Jesus' followers. That's what prayer is. So it's a present tense experience of speaking to God and expecting him to speak back. It's active. That's the second thing. Now, we all know that verbs show action, okay? But as is the case in English language, it's not just that easy, right? Because even action verbs actually could be active or passive. <laughs> Figure that out. All right? That, that's challenging. In fact, when I first came here to New Life, I, I would write my messages and I would pass, uh, pass it off to Pastor Chris who would review them. And I've, that's when I realized that Pastor Chris should have been an English professor as well as a pastor because it came back and, and it was a totally different message. And what Pastor Chris always said to me was, don't use the passive voice. It's boring. Use the active voice. And I, 
I was like, yeah, I want to get better. I'm going to do that. And so after three years of listening to him say that, I actually finally understand, uh, understood what he meant. <laughs> Took me that long, you know, and it was hard. Like, I didn't understand this. So I want to just explain it to you so that we can all understand the difference between something that's passive and something that's active. So look at this sentence. Last week's message was preached by Pastor Mark. Now, probably most of us look at that and go, what's wrong with that? And the answer is, nothing's wrong with it. It's just in the passive voice. Because in the passive voice, the subject is acted upon by somebody else. So that, mean, that means that when we're, when we're passive, somebody else is, is acting upon us. And so we all know a message can't preach itself. It has to be preached by somebody. So we say, last week's message was preached by Pastor Mark. So it's passive because the message is being preached. It's being acted upon because it's the subject. But in active voice, it's a little bit different. So look at this sentence. Pastor Mark preached last week's message. That's a lot more clear, isn't it? Right? We understand that now Pastor Mark is the subject, and he's the one who preached what? It's the object, the message. And so Pastor Mark was active. He was actively preaching. Literally, last week, he was standing here at this time preaching the message. He was the one who was acting. And that's the difference. That's the thing we need to understand is prayer is not something that happens to us. It's something we do. It's not a passive experience for us. It's an active, ongoing experience. That's what prayer is for us. We are the doers. And it's also an imperative. This is the last thing I want to focus on. Now, an imperative is a command. That's all an imperative is. Now, how many of you, going back again to seventh grade English, remember studying the four-sentence types. Yeah, anybody remember that? Nope. Everybody's like, I left it there. <laughs> I don't even know. Am I speaking English right now? <laughs> you know? Okay, there are four-sentence types, okay? There's a declarative sentence. It'll come back to you, and you'll go, ugh. You know? so there's, there are declarative sentences, okay? That's just a sentence where we're making a statement. We're declaring something. There's an interrogative sentence. That is a sentence that asks a question, and then there's an exclamatory sentence. That's a question that you have an exclamation like I do all the time as a parent. Hey! <laughs> shut up! Right? I mean, just kidding. I don't say shut up yet. I've been close. I've been close. It's coming. I know. It'll be there one day, okay? But that's an exclamation, right? And then there's the imperative, and the imperative is a command. Right now, in English, it can be a little hard to determine <laughs> sentences, you know, is, is, this a, is this a question? And, and I'm so thankful that we have this thing called a question mark, because that helped me nail those on the tests. Is this an interrogative? Well, it's got a question mark, so I think it is. <laughs> an exclamation point, we know that an exclamatory has an exclamation point, and so that helped me out a lot until I learned of this thing called an interrobang. And an interrobang is an exclamation point and, an and a question mark put together. And I just go, I have no idea. I just, I give up, you know. But, but in Greek, actually, one of the most helpful things is the verb actually tells us the type of the sentence. I just wish English would do that. But it's so helpful. So this verb tells us the ask, the seek, and the knock. It was an imperative. So Jesus is saying, now listen, I want you to pray. But not only do I want you to pray, you must pray. So here's the point. Jesus commands us to pray. We're to pray ongoingly in a relationship with God. We're to do it 
consistently, and it's to happen every day. So Jesus commands us to pray actively and continuously, and the command is, is such an important thing, and, and, and the reason that he does that is actually very profound. And the answer is, is this, that God actually wants to answer us. He wants to respond to us. Look at this next verse, verse 8. It says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, think about this. Jesus makes an amazing statement. He says, Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks will find. Everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Everyone? And Jesus is like, yes, everyone. In fact, he even adds emphasis to this. Look at this in the next verse. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And Jesus' point is clear. God not only wants to answer us, but he actually wants to bless us through the answer. So we oftentimes pray for things we need, and and that's good, and and Jesus encourages us to do that, and God wants to answer us for those things. And not only does he want to answer us, he actually wants to bless us in that. And that's our take-home point for us today. That's the thing I hope we walk out of here knowing that we can have this relationship with God where we can be bold and go before him and ask him for things, and he actually wants to respond to us. So here it is. God not only provides for us, he wants to bless us. God's providing responses. He's providing answers. And he wants to use his answers as a blessing. Now, I know probably what some of you are thinking is, you know, I've prayed before and I've asked God for some very serious things and frankly, nothing has happened. And listen, I want you to understand, I'm right there with you. I've had the same experience. But I want us to also understand the full breadth of Scripture as it relates to prayer and some important things that we need to pull out from the Scripture so that we can learn to pray correctly. Because here's, here's the thing. How we pray matters. How we pray matters. So let's look at three things specifically from the Scripture that teach us that when we ask God, when we seek God, when we knock on, on the door of the kingdom of God, what is the best way to do that? Well, number one, we must pray in faith. The author of Hebrews said, Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. When we approach God, we have to actually believe that he exists. Now, it takes faith to do that. You know, I can look over here and I can see Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Anthony's right there. It doesn't take me any faith to believe that Anthony's right there. And I can go ask Anthony a question and he's going to give me an answer. That's not faith because I can see him. The, the author of the Hebrews said that faith is the assurance of the things that are unseen. And so when we pray, we can't see God. It's not like Jesus all of a sudden shows up and he, he does this to some people, but not very many people. It sure would change a lot of people's lives if he just showed up in your living room when you were praying, right? That'd be so cool. And Man, that would be so awesome. All right, but he doesn't do that all the time. So what do we do? We pray in faith. We, we pray believing that he exists. And, and he says, you know, the author of the Hebrews says that you have to go to him believing that he's going to reward you. And if we believe that there's a reward, we must believe there's a rewarder. Otherwise, why do you even pray? What's the point? 
We have to go to God in faith. We have to ask, we have to seek, we have to knock in faith. That's the first thing we need to understand. The second thing that we need to understand is this. We must pray persistently. We must pray persistently. Jesus told his disciples a parable to help them understand this. And I want us to focus on this in Luke chapter 18. Here's what he said, beginning in verse 1. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? So Jesus is telling this story to encourage his disciples to keep praying because even when you keep praying, there's an unjust judge who, by the way, this is just a worldly person to be like you or me going into a courtroom uh, and being a judge and having somebody come in and say, render me justice, 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 render me justice. Anybody annoyed yet? Render me justice. I'm going to keep going. Render me justice. And finally, just like, stop it. Right? I'm going to do it. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you who are worldly and unjust render the response at the end, how much more will your heavenly father, who's perfect, he's the one true judge, render justice correctly? It's the same thing that Jesus said in today's passage when he said, and if you who are evil parents, excuse me, Jesus? Yeah, but that's what Jesus said. Right? We're, we're evil. That's what he said. We, we got some problems in our lives. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that. All right? We got some problems. And he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to you? Because, by the way, your heavenly father, he's perfect. And he loves you perfectly. So there's that parallel here. That we are to pray persistently. Because God doesn't get annoyed by us, which is super amazing. He actually wants to render his decisions in right and just ways, in loving ways as a father and a judge. Number three, we must pray in a posture of humility. We must pray in a posture of humility. We discussed this posture last month in that same message on June 29th and 30th. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, Jesus emphasized the attitudes of our heart matters as we approach God in prayer. Jesus said, don't stand up in front of people and pray. <laughs> that's that's nerve-wracking for pastors because guess what I'm doing right now? I'm standing up in front of people and I'm about to pray a little bit later on. Okay? That, that, that's a little bit nerve-wracking because Jesus said, no, no, go into your room 
and pray. So I thought maybe I would go into my office and I would pray. And you guys could hear me, but you couldn't see me. All right? But I decided that would probably be weird, so I won't do that. But, but here's the point. Jesus is saying, no, 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 listen. The hypocrites get up, and they begin to pray, and they use words that, that cause people to think that, man, they are deep, godly people. And Jesus actually said of the Pharisees, he said, who, who practiced this, by the way, he said, listen, on the outside, you're whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful, but on the inside, you're dead. There's nothing alive in there. Don't do that. Jesus said, when you come before your heavenly Father, come with an attitude of humility. I was thinking about this. Even earthly children don't go to their parents. Like, I wouldn't go to my dad and be like, hey, get me a car. Right? That would not have ended well with my father. You know, just a dangerous thing. It's disrespectful. It's dishonoring. And my dad doesn't deserve that. I can't buy it. That's why he's got to do it. He had the money in the bank, so to speak. To make that happen. So I needed to go to my dad and say, hey, dad, would you be able to help me buy a car? And it's the same way with our Heavenly Father. When we approach him, we don't approach him and demand things. We approach him and we realize, listen, the air that you're breathing right now, let me ask you a question. Did you make that air? Uh-uh. That tree outside made that air from sunlight. Figure that out. <laughs> Who did that? God. Who caused your brain to go, listen, hey, lungs, you need to actually take in that air so that, so that the brain can breathe, so the brain can live? Who did that? God. You see, we can't do anything ourselves. We need God for everything. We are nothing. We are dust before the Lord. We need him. And so we, when we pray, we need to come before him in humility. We trust him. We lean on his promises, but we still ask. We don't demand. And we ask the Lord. So Jesus makes clear when we must pray actively and continuously. And when we pray, we must pray in faith. We must pray persistently. And we must pray in a posture of humility. And when we pray in this way, there's no telling the mountains that God will move. Jesus said, it was asked, how much faith do you need to pray? And Jesus, Jesus said, just, just a mustard seed will do. It will move a mountain. Think about that. If we approach God and we ask him and we ask and we seek and we knock, he wants to respond to us. And he may move that mountain. And here's what I know. Some of us, we've prayed in faith, believing God. We've prayed persistently. We even prayed this morning before we came into church for somebody or something in our life. And we've asked God. In fact, we've begged God on our faces. And it still seems like nothing changed. Well, here's the thing we have to understand. Sometimes God answers our prayers in the ways we don't expect. You see, sometimes God says yes immediately, and we see a change happen. Sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says not yet. I want to show this to you from the Scripture because the Scripture offers us a plethora of opportunities to see how God responds. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there's a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah challenged these prophets of Baal, 
Uh, these prophets of Baal, they, they, Baal was an idol. It was a false god. And these prophets of Baal uh, were believing in him and, and were trying to get other people to believe in him. And, and Elijah says, now listen, I know the one true God, but just to prove it, we're going to have a little competition. And so Elijah says to them, what I want you to do is I want you to find a bull and I want you to chop it up and put it on the altar. And then we're going to pray to our God and the God who answers with fire is the one true God. And so these prophets of Baal, they chop up the bull, they put it on the altar and they begin to call out to Baal, hear us, O Baal, answer us, Baal. And by the end of the day, it says they they cried out from morning until evening. And by the end of the day, they even went so far as to cut themselves, begging this false God to answer them. And Elijah goes, that's enough. He cuts up the bull. He puts it on, on the altar that he repaired. It was the altar of the Lord. He repaired it because it had been broken down by the culture. He put the bull on the altar. He dug a trench around the altar. He poured water on the bull, and so much so that it went down and filled up this huge trough all around the altar. And Elijah called out to the Lord. He stepped back a little bit, and he said, Answer me, O Lord. And immediately God goes, yes, boom, fire comes down, licks up the altar, licks up the bull, the water's gone, nothing's there. God gave an immediate yes to Elijah's prayer. And in that moment, God demonstrated his glory and his power. And the prophets of Baal realized, "Uh uh-oh, we got the wrong God. God does that sometimes. But in Genesis chapter 12, there's another account of God's promise to Abraham. God came to Abraham and said, listen, I'm going to bless you so much so that you're going to have many, many children. I want you to look at the stars in the sky. You're going to have more children than that. (laughs) And Abraham's thinking in his mind, well, that's impossible. I'm 75 years old. I don't have a child. My wife's barren. She can't have children. How's that going to happen? God said, no, Abraham, it is going to happen. And this nation that's going to come through you is going to bless other nations. And through them will come this incredible blessing for all nations. And so Abraham says, okay, and he believed the Lord. And he and God had this covenant, which God did all by himself, actually. Abraham didn't even do anything, just slept through it, which just goes to show what a human can do. God God came through. He did it all. And so Abraham's waiting, waiting, and waiting. Nothing seems to be happening. And, and Sarah's just feeling guilty, like, I can't provide a child for my husband. I can't provide, let alone a son, for him to have this opportunity. And, and so Sarah says, hey, listen, Abraham, I have a servant girl. Would you just take her, have a child with her, and, and we'll ask the Lord to bless us through that. And so Abraham, in a moment of weakness, did that. And he actually brought Ishmael who was the son, to the Lord and said, Lord, would you bless Ishmael and bring the blessing that you promised, the fulfillment through him? And in Genesis chapter 17, verse 19, God says clearly and directly, no. God had a plan. And Abraham thought he could do it himself. And so Abraham then just began to wait again on the Lord And sometime later in Genesis chapter 21, we find the account of this beautiful boy being born named Isaac. 
Isaac was the fulfillment of the promise of God. And the blessing came through him. You see, what God was saying to Abraham in all of those years was, not yet. Not yet. And then eventually, yes. It took 25 years. But the promise came through because our God is faithful and good. In 2007, I was married to my wife and we decided we wanted to have children as soon as possible. So we began trying and nothing happened and nothing happened for quite a while. And so we went to the doctor to see what was going on and we weren't actually sure if we were going to be able to have children. And so we, we just got on, you know, on the floor before the Lord and just began to beg him, God, you're a God of miracles. You can work this out, we know. And, and we just prayed persistently asking him for a child. And it honestly, it seemed like God said no. And in 2010, the Lord impressed on our hearts Exodus chapter 14, 14, which says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. I don't know if God was tired of us being persistent. You know, you know what I'm saying? Just Hey, hey, listen, be quiet. I got this. That's what God's saying to us. And so we, we, just, we just believed on the Lord. In 2011, an opportunity arose for us that honestly we were not expecting. An opportunity came up for us to adopt a little boy named Marcus. And I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't want to adopt a child because my parents adopted seven kids and it was rough. But we felt like the Lord said, no, this is your son. And so on May 11th of 2012, we went into the courtroom where Marcus became our son officially and we became his parents. Two months later, <laughs> you know what's coming, our biological daughter was born. Now, lest you think we didn't know she was pregnant during that time, we did. But I believe for us, for my wife and I, it was a step of obedience of trusting the Lord and saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to step into this unexpected answer. And God answered us with another child, beautiful daughter named Kaya. And then 364 days later, our son Frey was born, which was an emergency C-section. They flew him down to Pittsburgh, and he is now the wildest little rascal you'll ever meet. And then three years later, our son Judah was born. He's our youngest child. My third son was born to us. Incredible blessing. So thankful to the Lord for what he's done. All those years we thought God was saying no, he was just saying not yet. See, that's the thing about God. He's completely sovereign. He can see the past, he can see the present, and he can see the future perfectly. So that even when he says no, there's a blessing. I'm so glad he told Abraham no to Ishmael. Nothing against Ishmael, but the blessing of Jesus came through Isaac. God looked forward and he saw Jesus live a perfect life, die on the cross for our sins, be raised back to life, 
so that all of us could be here today in Saxonburg, Pennsylvania, on the other side of the world, everybody, so we could know him as our Savior and Lord. So here's the thing. I don't know what obstacle is before you today, but I know the God who fights for you. He's fighting for you right now. So if you're here for the first time and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and and Lord, you need to know that your God is fighting for you right now. He loves you. He wants you to be a part of his family. And it starts here and now. All you have to do is believe. Jesus said, just believe in him and you can receive this life. And maybe you're in here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you hear this message and you're encouraged. I want to keep encouraging you. The apostle Paul said that God is working everything out for our good. That's an incredible promise because God is eternal. And so the answer may be no here on the earth, but it may be yes in eternity. And that's okay. Because we have all of eternity to be with him. There is blessing even in the no. So I'm going to pray. And as we pray, I just want you to get before your heavenly father and just deal with some things this morning. I don't know what it is for you, but I just want you to step into faith and pray persistently before the Lord and just ask him something that maybe you've been holding back for a long time. Would you let him step into this situation? Because then we can live out this week our take-home point. And it says this, it says, I will be bold and ask my Heavenly Father to provide what I need this week. So maybe let's start there. If you're not sure where to start, start there. Or maybe you know what it is. Pray as we pray right now. Jesus, thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection, so that we can be here and be called your children. Thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you and to trust you as Savior and Lord. God, today I pray that if there are any in here who right right now want to say yes to you, that I believe in Jesus, I pray, God, you would meet them where they are and that you would become their Savior and Lord in this moment, that they would commit their lives fully to you for the rest of their life, just completely dedicated, all in for you. Thank you for them, God. Bless them. And Father, for those of us who have trusted you as Lord and Savior, we give to you today the obstacles that are in our way. And we ask you and we seek you and we're knocking on your door. Would you respond? And as you respond, Father, give us eyes to see so that we can experience the blessing even when you say no. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you that you are good and you're working all things out for our good. Help us to to take a next step today in whatever way we need to in Jesus' name.